You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co-host, Chris Sims. On today's show, we talk to Simon Young of Lithodomos VR about archaeologically accurate, immersive, virtual places. All right, well, we're here on Archaeotech, and uh, we're going to talk about Lithodomos VR. I was contacted by um, Alex from Lithodomos uh, just a few days ago as time of recording, and uh, it seemed like a really interesting thing to talk about. We actually talked about doing a show for the ARC 365 podcast. Um, go check that out. But I thought this warranted a, a much longer conversation because what they're doing is pretty cool. So we've got on um, the CEO of Lithodomos, Simon. Simon, how's it going? It's going very well, Chris. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. We've also got, of course, Chris Sims on. Yep. A pleasure to have you on today, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So, Simon, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about Lithodomos VR and what the heck that is? <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, Lithodomos VR is um, basically a virtual reality content uh, creation uh, company. Um, the the name Lithodomos is an ancient Greek word. It means stone mason. And um, our uh, aim and philosophy is to create um, uh, archaeologically accurate virtuality content of the Greek and Roman worlds, which is uh, research-driven. So we're very excited about um, the content we're producing and the future um, applications of of the content and and um, its use on site and off site and and um, yeah and uh, really uh, going bringing archaeology in uh, the ancient Greek and Roman worlds into the into the realm of of, of VR. So what's what started this whole thing off? How did you come to create a company around this? Well, um, while I was doing my um, uh, PhD um, here at the University of Melbourne. Um, I was um, experimenting with uh, uh, 3D visualization software because my PhD thesis um, is about the uh, ancient cityscape and how um, observers um, may have derived meaning from public architecture. So I was very keen to get a get a view of um, the street level. So you know, I was playing around with AutoCAD and and uh, Blender and and um, using archaeological plans and elevation drawings to create um, models to do, you know, kind of a 2D um, print, um, 3D reconstructions. And then about, uh, I think it's three years ago now, the Oculus Rift development kit uh, came out. And um, a neighboring university, La Trobe University, um, bought one because they thought it would be great to put some archaeology into VR, but they weren't really sure about how to go about it. So they asked me to see what I could do with it. And um, so I took my 3D models that I'd been working on and I imported them into uh, the game engine Unity and then uh, fired that up in a um, virtual reality device. And I popped on the headset and, hey, presto, there I was actually standing in the street of one of my reconstructions. And I thought, hey, this is this is pretty cool. Um, and so I showed some of my um, my fellow students, and you know they thought it was pretty cool as well. And uh, and then when uh, I uh, spent some time in um, in uh, Austria and also in in, in Turkey, I, I showed some of uh, my colleagues and archaeologists, and they all thought it was pretty cool as well. And um, 
So I was invited to, to give a few public lectures about um, the technology and about um, the project. And, and then uh, when I submitted my PhD some time ago, I showed um, a friend of mine who um, thought it was really cool who showed a friend of his who um, runs an um, incubator startup company called Marketplace Ventures. Um, and he loved it as well. So um, I could see a commercial application of the technology. And um, yeah, so it's kind of taken off from there. Nice. Simon, could you tell us a little bit about how people think about public spaces and how uh, the Lithodomos technology is working to recreate that in a virtual space? So yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good um, question, Chris. Do, do you mean ancient public spaces or? Yes. Yeah. So, well, um, one, one really incredible thing that um, I think come, comes from uh, virtual reality is that we really have no idea what um, the ancient mind was like. <laughs> and uh, when, we, when we put a virtual reality headset on and experience an ancient cityscape, um, one thing that came out of my research was that we're really experiencing that cityscape from a completely 21st century observer perspective. So we, we're kind of like a, a, a projecting our own values and um, ideas onto you know, that cityscape. So even though virtuality gives you a sense of the general scale and arrangement of the city, it, it, we're still, I, I, I still think we're quite far removed from, from what it, it, it was like to, to be um, there as an ancient, ancient observer, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a fascinating problem to tackle. Yeah, I'm just kind of like r racking my brain on that one. Like, how can we, what can we do to kind of get to better understand the ancient mind? Well, um, one, one thing that I came across in my research as well is, and, 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 and I'm not sure how many of our listeners um, are into, uh, well, I think it's quite a, a pretty standard thing to study um, architecture, public architecture in archaeology courses at universities these days. And when you read articles and textbooks about um, uh, public architecture, you quite often are uh, encountered with this kind of shadowy figure of the observer. For example, you might you say, you know, the observer entering the city would have noticed the large large arch to to his or her left, and the observer would have been struck by. And I kind of I, I really realised that you know who is this observer? And and when we when we think read read the word observer, our first um, uh, instinct is to place ourselves in, in the shoes of that of that entity and imagine ourselves on the city city street and gaining gain, and wondering how we would feel. And then I was thinking, you know, well, what how do how do we get out of that uh, mindset of, of, of how do how do we separate ourselves from from that that mysterious observer? And I think really the only way is to 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 think about what kind of people would find themselves in in an ancient city and and. For example, um, a soldier looking at a, a at a fortification wall would would might perhaps be looking at the wall, thinking, "Well, that's quite a well-built wall. It's going to be difficult to scale." And look at those guards up there. It's, how are we going to attack this? Whereas a, a a slave who is on the other side of the wall may be looking at the same wall and thinking, "Oh, there's no way I'll ever be able to escape my my terrible fate and scale this wall at night. It's too." <laughs> So, so, one, so something as simple as a wall is, is open open to so many uh, different interpretations. So to a 21st century observer who might think, wow, it's so big, how did they build it back then? To a slave who can't escape, to a soldier who wants to, to attack the city. So 
so it's, I think it's um, the only way out of it is to really, really um, narrow down exactly who, who the observer was and at what time and what, what, and, and what it meant to them. I think uh, just a comment on the observer thing. Um, I was just this last summer in August or something like that. I was in Pompeii and uh, uh-huh. for the second time, the first time I was in Pompeii was ex- almost exactly 20 years before that um, when I was in mm. the U.S. Navy and, you know, I was right out of high school I wasn't an archaeologist, didn't really know anything about that. And even just my two impressions on how I viewed Pompeii from when I was 19 years old or 20 years old or whatever I was versus, you know, 40 years old, 41 years old, it was um, it was amazing the way that you, you just look at that through a different lens. So I always think about that when I'm recording archaeological sites as well is, you know, we're making all these interpretations over here about different things and different artifacts and features and stuff like that, but... Like, for example, you look at all this monumental architecture that the Greeks and Romans had. Was that considered monumental architecture to the people of the time? Or was it just par for the course? They're like, oh, look what the Romans did again. You know, there's there's another huge <laughs> there's another huge thing that they made. It was just not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Um, mm. and, and, I, and the same thing, like you said, like a soldier would view things differently than an artist or than a farmer would or something like that. Mm. So I think it's a really interesting problem and it's a really complicated one but putting yourself in that situation from a vr standpoint goes so much farther to answering that question i think mm. and also um one one thing i could have realized is that no matter we, we, because with with uh, reconstruction technology we seem um, hell-bent on achieving um perfect photo realism in in, in 3d and you see and you see that in the gaming industry you see that in, in films you see that in in the commercial um, architecture industry, you know, you've, you, everyone w- will have seen those billboards with the incredible renders of, you know, what what this new apartment building will look like. So, if we apply that to, to archaeology, I mean, we do we have this amazing opportunity now to 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 tap into those um, that skill set that is emerging for photorealistic um, reconstructions of of architecture, and then and then apply that to the ancient world. But then the question is. You know, once we once we um, uh, have that amazing photorealistic um, environment of the ancient world, doesn't that just heighten our sense of misinterpretation of what we're seeing? Right. We're still seeing right. it as a, as a 21st century observer, and it doesn't matter how accurate it is, we're still going to be applying our own prejudices and, and object, uh, subjective opinions of what we're seeing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty funny that, you know, we still are bringing the same problems, but they're just in higher definition now. That's right. uh, but <laughs> something that really interested me on on your website, on, on the Lithodomos VR website, is um, how you talked about using archaeologically accurate reconstructions of these spaces. So could you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what kinds of, of lines of of data and information you're pulling from archaeology. Sure, sure. Um, so, <clears throat> I think um, just to, as a preface to that question, I think as uh, as archaeologists, we really have a uh, a responsibility to deliver um, accurate research in our reconstructions of of ancient cities, and not not to cross the line into fantasy, because really, with a with a three D a 2D or a 3D image, we are transmitting, um, you know, the research of and and hard work of archaeologists over over you know over quite often over lifetimes. And so, for me, for me, it's really important to um, to go back to all the publications to collect all the um, 
uh, the site plans and elevation drawings and to make sure that um, <clears throat> everything in the reconstruction is based on published well-researched material and not and not fantasy so that's definitely the first step is to is to to do a thorough scoping of um, previously published archaeological records um, and and site plans the second the second part of it is to to ensure that um, the textures that we employ in the reconstructions are sampled from the site, um, match match the materials that were used in building, and um, that any uh, uncertainties or because you can never be completely certain, obviously, with with many reconstructions, any uncertainties are thoroughly backed up by credible um, parallels or or um, uh, you know, similar similar building types of a, of a, of a contemporary period so um, yeah so does that does that answer the question absolutely I think that's wonderful information yeah you know notice on your on your website that you guys uh, right now focus on Greek and, and Roman sites do you have plans to branch out from there or do are you I could see why you would focus on those because there's probably more data about Greek and Roman sites available, like right now, without doing any extra work than any sites in the entire world, <laughs> with with the possible exception of Egyptian sites, uh, like Egyptian pyramids and yes. things like that. But um, where do you think you guys are going from here? Yeah, Chris, that's a that's a great question, and it's something um, that I'm often asked is um, why why um, only Greek and Roman? And the the reality is that. Um, the Greek and Roman world and the material that's available is so vast that um, it, this is a, an under, a, a, a colossal undertaking in itself. And I've noticed it in, in some other um, VR content creation uh, companies, their objective or aim is to, we're going to do a virtual reality version of all of history. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's like, well, that's going to take a really long time. It's take a lot of work. <laughs> so um, you're absolutely right. I think I think the our aim is to do is to, to to choose this period, which has an enormous wealth of published material already, to do it really, really well, and um, to specialize in getting that process right, and then will entertain, I think, the possibility of opening up perhaps the, the medieval section of lithodomus or perhaps the, the uh, C Central American uh, uh, department of, of lithodomus. I mean, but for me, but for me as, 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 as the CEO, what is most important is that, that the reconstructions are archaeologically accurate, well-researched well and, and, um, you know, and responsible. Okay. That's awesome. And I, I do a lot of work in Central America, and I got really excited when you mentioned Central America. Uh, I, wor I work on Mayan sites every summer, and I think that the problems that Lithodomos works to tackle, like um, separating fantasy from you know archaeologically accurate depictions of the past and spaces, is interesting in those contexts. And you know, basically any other sites uh, that you work on, like you had mentioned the example of, of the soldier or the guard or the slave earlier in this episode, you yeah. know, especially in the Maya, there's spaces where 
you know, only the elites would have ever seen that and they would have mm. been sacred and totally restricted. And I think that that's, that's a pretty fascinating problem to tackle is the idea of uh, restricted spaces. But mm. uh, we're going to take our first commercial break and then we'll be back with more. Great. Awesome. Hello, APN listeners. Today we have some exciting news. The Center for Digital Archaeology, PCS, and Codify have teamed up to create an exciting new online training program built especially for you. Visit digitaltraining.site and you can sign up for free interactive office hour sessions to get help and share ideas about everything from digital photography to drone usage in archaeology and even tips and tricks on how to prepare for your next job interview. We're offering deep dive, two-hour webinars and intensive single-day workshops so that you can truly level up your skills. This is cutting-edge training provided by experts in the fields of digital imaging, cultural resource management, business practices, and more. Courses will fill up fast, so visit digitaltraining.site today and see what we have in store for you. That's digitaltraining.site. We look forward to learning with you. All right, we're back, and I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, well, I want to talk to you about how you collect your data otherwise and, and process your data and things like that, but that being said, first, you have a company, you know, Lithodomos VR, you're the CEO. CEO. How do you guys monetize? How do you make money doing this? How do you keep yourselves going? I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's... <laughs> um... <laughs> It's it's a uh, it's a question that a lot of VR content um, companies um, are facing at the moment. It's a bit of a chicken uh, <laughs> chicken and an egg uh, situation that uh, there's all this uh, people uh, hardware producers want want the general public to, to to buy hardware devices, but there's no no real content for the hardware devices yet. And so because there's not much content, not many people are buying hardware sets, so they're not not buying the content. It's it, it is it is a bit <laughs> tricky, but. <laughs> Having, having said that, we see um, a, a wide range of um, uh, monetization streams. Uh, one of the most exciting ones that we're, we're working on at the moment is to put um, VR uh, on site um, at archaeological uh, uh, excavations so that when uh, you visit, say, for example, the Roman Forum, you and you're confronted with a pile of, for the layman or for many of us, is rubble. Right. <laughs> you can take out your portable VR uh, headset, um, pop it on, and you see a beautifully reconstructed, uh, immersive vision of of the particular building you're looking at. Because at the moment, the the, the um, alternative is a, a, a um, one of those information boards, which is a, basically oh. a 5,000 word essay. <clears throat> and that's the last thing you want to be looking at. <laughs> yeah. On a 40, 40 degree Celsius day in, in, in Rome, trying to work your way through a faded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> per personally, I, I just take a photo and say, oh, I'll read this later and never do. <laughs> yeah. No, I see the, um, I, I, I totally thought about that because as I've gotten more, like I said, I, I hit Pompeii for the second time and not only was I older and now an archaeologist and had this different worldview, but I'm also way more into technology and kind of way in tune with what's possible and what's going on. And, and as I'm walking around Pompeii with my wife and we're following this tour guide and this guy, he was doing a good job. Don't get me wrong. But I don't hmm. think everybody in our group was understanding him. I know there was at least four different languages being spoken um, by people yeah. in our group. And he was speaking English because that's usually the easiest for them to do. And hmm. and I just, 
I just don't feel like, I mean, they, they were doing the best that they could, and I, we got the best tour that we could, given the situation. But if I could have just thrown on a, a VR headset, been able to see the real ground, because I don't want to fall and trip, because, you know, Pompeii is just filled with ruts and rocks and stuff all over the place. But yes, if right. I could see where I'm going and walk around that thing, but also have some auditory cues, maybe see some, you know, some clearly virtual people walking around and amongst the actual tourists that are there and be able to interact really augmented reality rather than virtual reality, but you know, a combination of the two, my God, that would have just been so much more um, immersive and interactive. And it would have been, uh, it would have been fantastic. Um, And then, and then on top of that with, from a VR standpoint, being able to throw on my VR headset from the hotel room before I go walk around Pompeii, get my bearings. So when I get there, I don't waste my time. Like I know where I'm going and what I want to see, you know, with my own two eyes. Not to mention with sites like Pompeii and and many other archaeological sites, I think that that brings a really unique potential for site conservation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as we're all familiar in the field, oftentimes the best case scenario is to actually not excavate a site. So, uh, I think it would allow us to preserve sites. Um, is that something that you've encountered so far with Lithodomos? Absolutely. It's a, it's a non-destructive way of uh, reconstructing uh, buildings. Um, yeah, that preserves the archaeological record. Um, in, in Turkey, where I, where I work, um, quite a lot of on-site re- reconstruction takes place. <clears throat> there is quite a bit of um, pressure um, to reconstruct um, buildings uh, because um, places like Ephesus, for example, <clears throat> receive, uh, well, received um, millions of tourists a year, and r- really it was a it was a, it's a commercial industry, um, and so you know that that leads nicely back into the the idea of you know how does Lithodomus um, co- uh, commercialize or monetize, and and that that's what that's one way by tapping into and recognizing that the reality of many popular archaeological sites is that they are businesses, that they they derive revenue. Um, And, um, you know, it kind of leads back to questions about uh, universities and grant systems and VR projects, how virtual reality in the past has, within archaeology, as many of you are probably aware, been uh, grant-driven. So you you come up with with an idea for a VR installation, your project goes to a committee, the committee looks at it, decides whether or not they'll fund it, and it takes several months, and then it gets funded, the VR content gets produced, and then it's set up in a museum or, or, or in faculty somewhere, and you know, some a few hundred people, uh, or a couple of thousand people view it, and then um, it uh, the project is dead. So um, by making... Uh, the virtual reality uh, um, a, on a commercial uh, model it really has the chance to evolve, to grow, to develop, to interact with a with a, a large amount of people rather than a select few of academics and students and interested parties. So I think commercialising um, archaeology in VR is really a, a way of reaching more people than people who are on site and interested and want to know what they're looking at. Hmm. So in the vein of, of reaching more people, how, how can your virtual reconstructions currently be viewed? Oh, very, very good question. So at the moment we've, we have a, um, an app on the Google play app store. It's ancient Jerusalem in VR. And, uh, we, uh, well, ho- hopefully in the next few days, um, we will release our free demo app, which has, a uh, three sites. 
the Odeon of Agrippa um, in Athens, um, the Arène de Lutèce, a uh, little-known gladiatorial arena in the 10th arrondissement of Paris, and the exterior of the Temple of Venus in Rome in Rome, and that will be freely downloadable. And in the in the coming weeks, these apps will also appear on uh, the App Store for uh, for iPhone, nice. and also on, on the Samsung Oculus Store for Samsung Gear. So, um, within within the month, we hope that um, these two apps will be available uh, both for one, the, the VR uh, Ancient Jerusalem and VR is two ninety nine, but mm-hmm. the the demo app is, is it will will be free free and contains. Uh, um, uh, re- reconstructions and short videos as well. So, is the ancient Jerusalem in VR app? Um, does that have? Is that designed right now to be viewed just like wherever you're at? You download the app and you can kind of look around and, and and navigate and do things. Or is it also geo referenced so you can physically take it somewhere and use it that way, or or not? Yet? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's a. It's um, designed both for, for use um, at home and mm-hmm. or in actually uh, this uh, in January I'll be um, giving a workshop at the University of, of Melbourne mm. and uh, uh, as a guest lecturer I'm teaching uh, giving a class on on applications of virtuality for for um, up and coming archaeologists. Um, nice. So it's, so we're going to be using that um, app as an educational tool. Okay. Um, uh, so within the within the context of context of a university at home, and also it is geo reference, so you can go to the Western Wall and you can plonk yourself in one position, put on your virtual reality headset, and then and then see the geo referenced image around you. So it, it's multi has multi uses. How do you how do you decide? Like it says ancient Jerusalem, but that covers a pretty wide swath of time. How do, how do you decide what somebody actually sees? Um, I mean, I know the the big architecture and things like that. You're probably reconstructing those and, and making sure that it's uh, that it's realistic. But uh, do you have any other? Because I haven't seen inside the app. I've seen the video guys have. But do you have any other touches that are like um, ambiance sort of touches? And if so, how do you decide what kind of time period to to set those in? Right. So um, we decided to place um, ancient Jerusalem in VR uh, in in the first century AD, um, mm-hmm. just after the construction of or the the um, Amplification of the of the second temple by by Herod the Great, mm-hmm. and we decided to place it um, near the Western Wall so that so that uh, people who are visiting the site can can uh, can see see the virtual um, reconstruction when they're there, mm-hmm. and yeah, the this particular experience is centered around uh, the Western Wall and the area around the Western Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, we are looking at expanding the experience to the Roman, to Herod's palace and also to the Roman um, city um, on the southwestern um, slope of Mount Zion. So um, it's, that's the great thing about uh, about the project is that there's so much that we can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But of course, um, uh, when, when, when we say that, you know, it's ancient Jerusalem and VR, it's not... Um, Every single building and and every single paving stone of, of the city and that, that to do that to do that well would take years and years. So yeah, we choose yeah. we choose careful carefully care, yeah we we take carefully chosen reference points within the city where you can get a sense of you know, what an ancient observer may have seen from that 
that position. Okay. So have you guys, do you guys do any data collection on your own? We talked about this a little bit earlier that you're using, you know, you're definitely on sites that have a lot of data already, but are you out taking any photographs for like any photogrammetry or, you know, any sort of uh, drone imagery or anything like that to enhance the models that you're making? Yeah. Um, our, our first project was in Antalya and we actually made a, uh, Photogrammetry, uh, photogrammetry model of um, Hadrian's Arch at, in in mm -hmm. Antalya, um, and uh, uh, sampled the textures um, there, and and used that uh, photogrammetry model to to refine a a three D um, th uh, model of, of of the arch for use use on site. I mean. It's it's it, it's tough. Uh, photogrammetry is, is is great for accurate recording of, of artifacts. It's not so great for for VR. It turns out because as as you may know, the um, the polygon count becomes for the higher the detail of the model, the polygon count becomes like goes through the roof. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so quite often you'll have a a wall, which is quite quite plain looking really. But with it, with photogrammetry, you might end up with several billion uh, floating points. Right. Where you could, whereas in virtual reality, you could you could achieve the same effect with a with a plane with four vertices and a nice uh, texture mat um, on top of that. So it's kind of a creating the model uh, is is a balancing act balancing balancing act between you know photogrammetry and 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 3d modeling and and texture texture gathering i realized quite early on there's no magic bullet for recording <laughs> a, a site a site for use in vr yeah okay now have you thought about um do you have on your your long-term roadmap the idea of um uh bringing in other senses like other touch sensitive devices or sound or smells or anything like that to kind of really enhance the the experience yeah um so haptics um i was i was talking the other day with one of my colleagues that this the particular application for vr we have at the moment is is as we know for use on site and at home mm -hmm. and uh so i don't um, recommend people put on their virtuality headset in pompeii and and, and start walking around <laughs> without seeing where they're going <laughs> Yeah. So the, the experiences we, we have uh, are definitely best enjoyed stationary. <laughs> and if you want to get if you want to get to another perspective, you take off the headset, walk to the next point, and put on the glasses. So it's it's a it's a safety measure. But mm -hmm. um, obviously, our models um, are designed uh, so that in the long term they can also be used for. Um, uh, virtuality experiences where uh, you put on put on your like an HTC uh, Vive, which has mm, sensors, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, you can move around the space. And one interesting, great, great application would be to, for example, be in an ancient city um, in an HTC Vive with hand controls, and then to have a very nicely um, photogrammetry scanned um, piece of ceramic that you could then pick up oh, and nice. then look at. And, and and examine and then place back to into its context. Hmm. That's really cool. Uh, so this makes me wonder. So what's all what all's involved in the undertaking to do one of these reconstructions? Like if if someone's running a, a large archaeological project and they want to get in touch with Lithodomos VR about <clears throat> bringing you in to to help them out with their site, what would what would that entail? Well, um, 
uh, luckily what has emerged within our um, uh, work process and and business plan is um, what 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 I, I am really striving to do is to bridge the gap between academia and commercial interests. So we've devised a, uh, a template academic scope document that we can provide to directors of, of excavations or, or any archaeologists for that matter. That's that's uh, that's academic in, in in nature. So it's a it's a it's, it's a basically a report with with diagrams and and references and, and kind of like a, a long a long essay, if if you will. And the way that the our three D modelers um, and texture artists uh, have been trained is that they can take that academically referenced and researched document and use that as the blueprint for for the project. Um, and because accuracy and, and research-driven um, models are so important, we also invite that if, if a university or the director of an excavation wishes to, to produce um, VR for their site, that they are actively involved in the process of creation, of the creation of the 3D content. And that means regular meetings with the 3D artists and modelers to check to see how the progress is going to, 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 to make sure that that everything is where it should be to pick up any errors and and of course at the end to revise the model and the scene and and decide whether it's satisfactory and make any last last minute refinements before it becomes available to the public. Mm. And this uh, scope academic scope document also becomes very um, handy because it forms the basis of you know audio guides or academic reports or yeah so um, we. Striving, striving to 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 bring together the academic research-driven world and and the commercialization of this product. That's very cool and very thorough too. I'm I'm super impressed by that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that that I'm glad you talked about all that. And I'm glad Chris asked that question because that was definitely on my list of things to ask. Because you know, as a contract archaeologist here in the United States, I'm constantly recording archaeological sites that, because of the nature of the project, I work in the Great Basin in Nevada, so. Uh, there's a really good chance that right after I record this site, it's going to be destroyed by a mine or an, you know, a pipeline or something like that. So, uh, you know, in the future, I mean, I know this is a long process right now, but I'd love to work to a point where we could call you up and say, all right, what's our quick and dirty VR kit. So I can be out there in the field. I can record a small site, nothing big, nothing monumental. It's just, it's just a site and I want to record everything about it. I can collect all the sights and sounds of it for somebody to visit later virtually and do that in a quick and effective manner. That's that would be, that would be something to strive for for me. <laughs> that I no, absolutely, absolutely. And and we were talking, we were talking, we're talking a lot about creating an ecosystem for archaeologists and a, a virtual library. So it, it, when you when you're on site and you find an interesting artifact, you can pop on your VR headset and and go through the virtual library and find parallels, and then you know grab a piece of ceramic and then compare it in in real time to what mm -hmm. you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we've only got a couple minutes left. I feel like we could talk to you about this all day long. Um, but where is there anything we didn't ask you that you really want to mention about Lithodomos VR? Like maybe where you're going, you know, in the near future, things like that. Um, I'm also I've got lots of questions about futuristic museums. Have you seen the new show Westworld? Because I feel like that's where it's all going. I love show. <laughs> <laughs> that's our goal for 2017 is to mention Westworld in every episode of Archaeotech. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured that's where all this ends up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as a closing comment, I guess um, just to share with the, uh, your listeners that we're very excited about um, the possibilities of Lithodomus VR and 
and we see it as a collaborative um, effort with, with archaeologists uh, globally to to um, to work with us to create amazing VR content for for archaeology and for the ancient world and to and to re to really bring because I think it's uh, VR and archaeology is is once has a very clear application and mm -hmm. it'd be great to see it on site in museums at home sooner rather than later. Yeah, and and not only that, but just the access to these sorts of things that people that can't travel halfway around the world from our standpoint, you know, to go to go see one of these sites, they can still benefit from the rich history that it has to offer by 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 doing more than just looking at it on a website and looking at photographs and, you know, Google images or something like that. They can really experience that without going anywhere and you know not to mention people who are um you know uh, disabled in some way and and just can't do it i mean pompeii is a really hard place to walk around <laughs> i don't know i don't know how you would do it yeah if you yeah. had any mobility issues so true. all right well thanks true. a lot simon um we've got links to a lot of the things we talked about in the in the show notes and we look forward to um everything you guys have coming out in the future pretty exciting excellent thank you very much for for, for the chat it was, it was great That's it for another episode of the Archaeotech Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeotech. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for this episode. You can also email us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag archaeotech or tag at archpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to this show wherever you saw it. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.